0: It's great to have you today, uh, good morning, I'm Don, if you, uh, I guess I have been up here already, the youth gave me their cards, They're thankful there. so we're in a new series on uh, postcards from the prophets, looking at a bunch of different prophets from the Old Testament, and I just want to say, starting out, it, just because I might forget to do this, if you were not here last week, and you didn't hear Ke- uh, Kyle's message, listen to it online, because it was awesome, and, and it was spoke, it's talked about revival in our own individual lives, but also revival as a church. And so I would really encourage you, if you missed it last week, that you would listen to Kyle's uh, message. So, hey, today we're going to be looking at the prophet Hosea. And the most important thing about Hosea is who he marries, like most of us guys, right? Can you say that? Okay, good. And, and there's a truth here that um, God... Tells them who to marry. Many of us probably feel that if we've grown up in faith, uh, that God had something to do with who we married. Uh, I mean, I know I do. A lot of you know my story. Some of you don't. But I was older when when I met Nancy. I was uh, I was 32 years old. Um, Nancy was 31. Um, I had like some people, maybe a few different relationships in my 20s that didn't work out very well. There was actually this um, kind of a gathering of Young Life people down in the South Bay where I was doing Young Life, and one of the people there was this woman named Carrie Landers. And at the party, I had just come out of a relationship that didn't work out. She came to me, and she said this, Don, there is a really cute Christian girl at work, and I want to introduce you to her. I'm like, great. (laughs) Really cute Christian girl? Sounds good to me. And then she said, and then I prayed about it. I said, well, tell me about this Christian cute girl at work. She goes, no, I prayed about it. And the Lord told me not to introduce you to her. I'm like, no, 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 right. The cute, really cute Christian girl at work, right? No, the Lord said not to introduce you to her because he has somebody else for you. I'm like, okay. Now, it took about a year, year and a half later that I finally met Nancy, and we ended up getting married. But I look back on that, and I really feel God had his hand in bringing Nancy and I together. And it is even more so here with Hosea. Hosea is what we call a minor prophet. Uh, There are four what is called major prophets in the Old Testament. That would be um, Isaiah, that would be Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are major, and then 12 what we call minor prophets. They're not minor because they're any worse, less, or you shouldn't listen to their stuff. It's just that their books are a little shorter. And I heard it kind of talked in, in college, you might have a major and then a minor, and both are really important. So what Hosea is going to teach us today is crucial. But his marriage is what is most important in this whole story. And I kind of entitled this on the sermon notes, A Most Unusual Marriage. So Hosea lived during the times where the northern kingdom, and we'll put that map up here. I think I might have jumped ahead. There we go. Israel, you remember Israel is uh, split by civil war. There's two countries now. There's Judah in the south, and there's Israel in the north. Uh, Hosea is a prophet to Israel, which is the northern kingdom. And he's a prophet during a time when it is a very prosperous. Uh, economically, they're doing very well. Um, But spiritually, the the country is not doing so well. And he's there from 1700 BC up until about when the Assyrians come in and destroy that country in 722 BC. But here's how his uh, time as a prophet starts. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblin, and she conceived and bore him a son. So this is the NIV uh, version. It says, go marry a promiscuous woman. There are other versions that are not so nice, let's say. say. So the next one is the, let's see, this is the uh, King James. Put that one up there for us, Greg, if you would. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. Okay, now the uh, new American standard is next. This says, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom. And then Eugene Peterson in the message, I love this, says, go find a whore and marry her. Okay, so this is what Hosea is told to do. Now the wild thing about this is that Hosea does this. He goes and marries a woman named Gomer, an unfortunate name, shall we say, yes, but that is her name. And, and she is unfaithful to him. He, he knew she would be. He knew that this was who she was. But the reason this is happening is, and oftentimes the Lord does this with his prophets, is not only will the prophet speak the words of God, but the prophet lives out in front of the people, this is what's going on in your lives. And so what this is meaning to them is that the nation of Israel is acting like a promiscuous woman, that they are not following God. They are being unfaithful in their relationship to God. And the first three chapters in the book of Hosea describe this relationship between Hosea and Gomorrah. It talks about the three children that will be born, that will be looked at. It talks about how um, God's judgment will be upon Israel, but then it also shows us this, and this is the thing I hope we get to, we will. Hosea's relentless love for Gomer and God's relentless love for us. That's what the book of Hosea is about. So the relationship in the book is built upon this biblical truth of a covenant. It's a very important word from the Old Testament and from New Testament, actually, talking about our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. This is what a covenant is. It's an agreement between two parties involving mutual obligations. It's a commitment to responsibility and action a key word in scripture to describe the commitment is faithfulness acted out in the context of abiding friendship that this is what a covenant means there's different types of covenants in the old testament some of them are unconditional covenants that god makes with us some of them are conditional that if you if you act a certain way and if you're obedient to what god wants this is how you will live and god makes covenants with Adam and with Noah, most like most known with Abraham. He makes one with Moses. And again, the way that you live then uh, influences what happens in this covenant that you have with God. And in Leviticus 26, there's a portion that talks about this is what it's like. This is what it's like if you are obedient and faithful to the covenant you have with God. God says, I will look upon you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I'll keep and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you, and this is so important, and be your God, and you will be my people. That ultimately is what the covenant language is about, is that I will be your God, and you will be my people. And it's this picture of an intimate relationship with great blessing involved when you are obedient to the covenant that you make with God. And it's crucial to remember that part of God's covenant with his people is that they would be faithful and obedient to him. And when we're with Hosea and we're in the 700 B.C.s, the people of God have not been faithful. The people of God have not been obedient to God. And so now Hosea comes on and he marries Gomer and it's a picture of the unfaithfulness of God's people to God. And then they have these three children and the first child they have is a son and the Lord says, name him Jezreel. And Jezreel is not such a wild name. Some of the others we'll get to are, but what this is, it is to remind the people of God of a city, the city of Jezreel, really a town. And ultimately what it is, it is to remind them of um, what happened in this city. And basically in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10, it's a picture of incredible injustice that happens there, where a king who had just become king named Jehu kills not only the reigning king of Israel, but he kills the reigning king of Judah. He kills all of the reigning king of Israel's family. He kills all the people from Judah that had come down to be a part of a gathering, and he kills 70 prophets of Baal. And it is just this bloodbath that happens in Jezreel. And ultimately, it's a picture of the injustice of the day, and it also is a picture of an ego-driven pride and power that happened with this man. And so this son is born, and it is there to remind the people, this is what happened, this is what happens when you do not follow my ways and then uh, a little bit later on Gomer conceives again and and gives birth to a daughter and her name is Lo Rahama which means not loved or no mercy and then after a little while she gives birth to another son and this son's name is Lo Amin which means you are not my people and so you can see that the last two especially show us that he's, what they're saying to the people of God is that you have broken my covenant. Remember, the covenant's all about I will be your God and you will be my people. And now these children are born and they are named, no love, no mercy, and not my people. And so it's a picture of the people of God have fallen away from how they're supposed to live. And this family portrait, if you may, is to show the people of God that you are not following. You're not being a part of what the covenant is supposed to be. You are not my people, and I'm not your God. Gomer was not faithful to Hosea. We actually can't tell from the text if the last two children are actually Homers, homers, Hoseas. I knew I would do that. Oh, my gosh. I knew I would. I just knew it. But we can't tell if they're Hoseas or not, because she's not shown herself to be faithful to him. In chapter three, actually, uh, Gomer will be on the trading block as a slave. After all that has gone on and the times that uh, Hosea has brought her back in, that she will again be on the trading blocks as a slave, that she's incurred some type of debt, or possibly is now even a prostitute of her ownership of another man. And that just shows again and again her unfaithfulness to her husband. And in the three chapters, the first three, we see this cycle of unfaithfulness and sin, punishment for sin, but then which is overshadowed by Hosea's relentless love for his wife. This is what the book of Hosea is about. The Chapters 4 to 14 specifically talk about this is now how Israel has acted this way with their God. And ultimately what the picture is is a picture of what I'll call spiritual adultery. That's what the people of Israel have been committing. Now, this week as I prepared, I had to ask myself, where do I fit in the story? In what ways do I commit spiritual adultery with my God? Where do I fit in? Because here's the thing. Yes, Gomer is the people of Israel, but Gomer is also us. Gomer is also me. I'm also the one that can be very unfaithful to my God. And so as we go through this and we look at how Israel has been unfaithful, the question then is, how do we show ourselves to be unfaithful? The first way that uh, Israel showed their spiritual adultery was through immorality. Hosea chapter 4, the prophet says this, There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land, There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see, a a broken relationship with God causes there to be a broken relationship with others. And when things aren't right with God in a country or in a person, then the way we treat other people is not right. And, And there's immorality in the land. And that was so true of Israel. And again, we, we, <laughs> I probably don't even need to say this, but there's immorality in our land. There's ways that we hurt one another. There's ways we take advantage of one another. There's ways that we show injustice to one another. There's ways I treat people wrong. There's things that I do in my thought life, and in the way I treat people, and what I actions and attitudes I have that show that 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 things just aren't right. I mean, I was at our core group on, on Wednesday. we were talking. I don't even know how we got on this conversation before you even started. But uh, well, we have so many teachers. There's so many teachers involved in everything here at, at church. But um, that there are people. <laughs> Uh, internet type hacker people who go and they get around firewalls at, um, in school districts and they steal all of their information or hold it. And then they ransom it. You've heard of this probably. That pay us $10,000 or else we will not give you back all the information of your students and your teachers and all that. And this happens all the time. That there are people actually that are thinking, how can we steal from school districts? hospitals, governments. You know, with the fires that happened recently too, I was thinking about this, that when they ask people to evacuate and they have forced evacuation, they have to have police who then patrol those areas because people will try to get back in to steal from the homes that have been vacated. It's just a symbol of the immorality of our lives and of our country. The second thing that the Israelites had to deal with in terms of their spiritual adultery is what was called unholy alliances. In Hosea 7, the prophet says this, Israel's arrogance testifies against him, but despite all of this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. And what they would do is, depending on who was stronger, who they were being threatened by, what countries around them might be talking about invading, they'd go to Egypt, who was a strong nation, and say, hey, protect us. Or if they wouldn't go to Egypt, they'd go over to Assyria and say, hey, Assyria, take care of us. And they would create these unholy alliances with these other foreign countries instead of trusting their God. Instead of saying, Lord, we need you to help us right now. They would go to these other countries and these other powers and ask them to be the ones that take care of them, support them, and strengthen them. So what, what unholy alliances do we make? Who do we put our trust in? A lot of times we put it into our financial wealth management people. Say they're the ones that will take care of us. Sometimes we put it into a political party. We say the Democratic Party will save us or the Republican Party will save us. And we think that that is how we're supposed to live. When what the Lord continues to say to us is, trust me first and foremost. Do not create these unholy alliances with other things in your life that you think will cause you to prosper. And then the last thing that the Israelites did that we can relate to is just idolatry Hosea 4 says this, My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burnt offerings on the hills, under oak, polyper, and terethon, where the shade is pleasant. You see, they were worshiping false gods and idols. It would be up on a hill, there would be some place where you could do... um, some type of an offering to this false god. And the main false god of the day is what's called Baal. Baal is a a Canaanite deity. is the god of fertility. So his fear influenced uh, agriculture and human sexuality. You see, um, Israel's climate is very similar to ours. And at that day, it was very much an um, agricultural area. And you needed it to rain in order for your crops to grow. And if there was a time where there wasn't some rain... You could go to the Baal gods and pray to them. You could make offerings to these Baal gods and they would then um, supposedly, right, cause it to rain and cause your crops to grow. And so it's this picture of fertility. And you even there was temple prostitution involved and human sacrifice, even children. I mean, I read this in Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago where he's talking about the Baal gods take, having child uh, sacrifice them, and, and God says this, the people are doing something I never even imagined. That God would never imagine that people would sacrifice their children to Him, so far from who our God is. And yet, this is the idolatry that is happening in Israel. And so the question then is: We don't actively worship wooden idols, or we don't go up into the mountains to sacrifice burnt offerings. But but what do we? What do we worship other than our God? What do we give our attention to? What sort of things are the idols and and gods that we worship? Things like um, comfort and security can be a God we worship. Money, obviously, can be one. We might worship our reputation. We might worship entertainment and just finding ways to continuously be entertained. But the question is, okay, what are the idols that I worship? Where in our, in our country, in our life and in our day is there immorality? Where are the unholy alliances and where is idolatry? So the case is built against um, Israel and there's this immorality in the land, there's unholy alliances they were worshiping and so God has every reason to break this covenant and yet the word, the story and, and the truth of Hosea is that God continues to relentlessly pursue his people You see, the gravity of our own sin is about to meet the relentless love of God. And my tendency is to rush through my own sin and just get to the cross. My tendency is to rush through my own sin and just get to forgiveness. And what the book of Hosea causes us to do is to pause just a moment and realize that our sinfulness is... um, That God hates our sinfulness, that it grieves his heart, that it causes so much pain and hurt in the world, that our own sin is what took Jesus to the cross. And so we have to sit in the gravity of our own sin for a bit. Because here's the thing, the cross makes no sense without sin, Jesus dying on a cross for you and I makes no sense until we actually deal with our own sin, because that's the only thing that took him there, was our sin. So in the story of Hosea, uh, Gomer's incredible sin is about to hit the relentless love of God, and and it happens. We see it a few different places in the book, but in Hosea chapter 2, here's what the Here's what the Lord says. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I'll make the valley of Acor a door of hope. Uh, Acor means trouble. I'll make the valley of trouble a door of hope, and she will respond as in the days of her youth, and in that day she came out of Egypt. And in that day, I love this, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. See, what's so interesting about what this is, is that the word my master in in Hebrew is actually spelled B-A-A-L, lowercase, just like Baal. And so what this is saying is that you will no longer call me my master, that, that God does not want a relationship of fear and ritual, but that God wants a relationship of love. He'll call me my husband not my master, not one I'm fearful of, not one I'm scared of, not one I feel like I have to make all these offerings to all the time, but you will be about this incredible love relationship that a husband and a wife have with one another. A couple verses down, it says this, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord Here's here's the qualities of our God and the qualities of the relationship he so desires to have with us. Righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and faithfulness. That's what God wants. That's the relationship God so desires to have with, with you and I. And so somewhere in the whole course of this story with Gomer and And Hosea, like I said before, that that Gomer ends up on the trading block in chapter 3. This is his wife. And now she's on the trading block as as a slave of some sort. And in Hosea 3, it says this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. The raisin cakes are offerings they would make to Baal. So the Lord says, go love your wife again. No matter how many times she's turned away from you, no matter how unfaithful she has been to you, go love her again. And And then he pays for her. He buys her back 15 shekels of silver and some barley, He buys his wife back from whoever had her. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. There's no shame. Just love. So yes, we have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with the the pain that that causes. But most of all, we have to remember that it's the relentless love of God that draws us. I'm going to drop down to Hosea 14, Greg. And here's how Hosea, the last chapter, starts. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. That's the word for all of us today. Return, Gomer, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return, Don, (laughs) to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Each of us can put our name in there and say it. return. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips is just, is just praise, worship of who you are. But forgive our sins. That's what this book is about. That's what this prophet is about. That's what this marriage is all about is reminding us that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that our sin grieves the heart of God, that it truly is our downfall. And we come before our Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. And may I experience your relentless love in my life. Are you there today? Can you stand before your Lord and just say, I'm returning to you, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Let's pray together. So Lord, we, uh, oftentimes we quickly jump past our sin and go to His forgiveness, but remind us, Lord, of our sin today. Remind us of those places where we um, partner with immorality, where we create unholy alliances, and where we we even, Lord, worship idols. And forgive us, Lord. We bring that before you. We fall before you and before the cross. And just say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. And may we return to you. Thank you so much for your relentless love that never gives up on us. That, Lord, you will continuously buy us back, continuously put us in a place and say, My ways are better. My ways make sense. My ways bring you joy. My ways cause you to flourish. So, Lord, we want to return to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.